Welcome to Forbes Podcasts. Hi, I'm Denise Rastari, and this is Mentoring Moments, a show where women you may never meet will become your mentors. I invite you into my apartment to tap into conversations I'm having with successful women who are sharing their, wow, you need to know these stories, the stories that propelled their careers. We'll have a new episode every other Tuesday, and Mentoring Moments is part of the Forbes Podcast Network, produced by Fractal Recording. David Bowie said, I don't know where I'm going from here, but I promise it won't be boring. That became Jane Warwin's mantra. Jane is the founder and chief visionary of Dermalogica. And FITE, that's F-I-T-E, which is Dermalogica's global philanthropic initiative that supports and funds female entrepreneurs. To date, FITE has supported over 75,000 women in 68 countries. Jane's definitely not boring. In 1983, Jane left her home in the UK and arrived in Los Angeles with an entrepreneurial dream and a suitcase. She saw, she listened, she touched people, and she was touched by people. And that's how she discovered a gap in the marketplace, a skincare line that's free of harsh irritants and fragrances. Three years later, she launched Dermalogica, and it grew to become the leading skincare brand in professional salons and spas worldwide. It's now in 107 countries. And Jane can do a bikini wax in under seven minutes, which is pretty impressive. And it all started because she took her mom's advice, five really important words, learn how to do something. Jane, I am beyond excited that you are joining me today. Thank you. Thank you, Denise. I'm very excited to be here. I read an Alicia Keys quote in one of Lena Dunham's newsletters. And Alicia Keys said, I don't want to cover up anymore. Not my face, not my mind, not my soul, not my thoughts, not my dreams, not my struggles, not my emotional growth, nothing. And I thought, amen, I wish more women would do that. And that brings me back to why I'm so excited that you are joining me today, because you are one of those women who aren't covering up. You're telling it like it is, and we need more of you. So let's get started with your mentoring moment, a story about something powerful that happened to you, something or someone who had a major impact in your life. It's all yours, Jane. Mm, so many to think about, but I, I think one just jumps up at me because it really made sure that we built the business the way we did. And that was in the early days when we started the company. Uh, we started as an education company called the International Dermal Institute, which we still have. And I was teaching every class. We, I was teaching six days a week. I was uh, teaching between 12 and 20 students in a class, hands-on, doing the laundry, writing the classes. And I have a, had a specific way of teaching that was really geared towards kinesthetic learning 
learners, people that learn by doing, which of which I'm one. And we had been in business about three years and I was really working hard, as was my partner, Raymond. And Raymond said to me, look, you know what, Jane, we've got to expand. We've got to have more classes. We've got wait lists on the classes. We've got to have more classrooms. We need to take more premises and you need to teach other people teach teachers how to teach your methods and I and I said it's not possible I you know I don't I can't teach this the way I do it is something within me I feel very very attached to it I can't teach someone else to do it I have to do it I have to do this and he paused for a moment and he said to me you know what Jane if what you're saying is true and you are the only one that can teach this method we just maxed out the business we we just hit our our growth ceiling we can't grow it. If, however, and, and you know, we don't have a business thing because, I mean, you know, we, we, it's too small. If, however, there's some way that you could teach someone to do it 70% as well as you do, we can scale it, we can grow it, we can go global. So you tell me, which is it? Are we maxed out and it ends with you? Or can you teach someone to do this 70% as well? It'll still be a heck of a lot better than anyone else is teaching it. Can you do it? And when he said it, you know, I, I really had to think about it. And of course, you know, it was my own ego that was getting in front of me and saying, you're the only one that can do it. And, and probably my own insecurity of, you know, is what I'm teaching really all that? And would someone else, you know, understand it or think it was cool as well? And and of course, I, I wanted to scale. So I said, uh, we'll do it. And I think now our teachers teach it even better than I would teach it. And we have incredible teachers around the world. We're in 107 countries. Every single country has at least one or two educators. And all together, you know, we've got six or 700 educators that teach our method that we employ directly and thousands more that teach in schools that license our curriculum. So... You have to decide, you know, does it begin and end with you, in which case you've got a cottage industry business, or can you scale it, can you grow it, and if you can, what does that look like? But how did you get out of your own way? And I, I'm thinking about two things. One is, I remember when I was at USA Today, and I became known for doing something really well, that was working with the hotels. And suddenly, not suddenly, but over a period of time, you become the hotel girl. That's what you know. Mm -hmm. and, and that is great because you feel like you're irreplaceable. Yeah. But, and no one is irreplaceable, but you, know, you have that sense of, I know all this, I've been doing this for so long. But on the flip side, I really backed myself into a wall of being that expert. Yeah. So how did you get out of your own way? Well, I think the first thing is recognizing that you are in your own way. You know, recognizing that, you know, before you can solve a problem, you've got to identify exactly what it is. So by saying to yourself, I am blocking myself from my own growth. Let's just phrase it like that. I call it, I say to people, don't shrink yourself. That's one of my favorite phrases. And, and that actually was said to me by a student who came up to me and thanked me a few years ago and said, I want to thank you for never shrinking yourself. And when she said it, I responded, wow, I that's, yeah, I don't shrink myself. Thank you for, for seeing that and pointing it out to me. So I, I think you have to say, I'm not going to shrink myself. I'm going to be my full capacity. How am I going to do that? And the first thing is you've got to edit what it is you're focusing on. And how I do that is I say to myself, 
keep only that which only you can do. In other words, you, there's something that you do specifically super well and delegate everything else. So for me, it's really speaking now, it's about speaking out about our industry. It's about speaking out about our brand. It's about being the spokesperson, not just for Dermalogica, but also for the skincare industry and being a thought leader in that and entrepreneurship. And delegate, give away, uh, give to someone else everything else which they could do at least 70% as well as you. And I think you have to just first recognize the problem and then say, okay, I'm going to have to give a ton of this stuff away. It's a bit like cleaning your closet. I loved it then. It looked good on me then. There are other things that look better on me now. I'm giving it away. I'm donating it. I'm selling it. I'm getting rid of it. And I think that's, that's the critical thing. And was that hard for you, though, to get to that point of being able to delegate when you, especially when you, when it's your business, or even if you're working for someone else, when you're so passionate about what you're doing? I think it is hard because, you know, you also love a lot of what you're doing. But if you say, you know, I'm really good at doing this. This is the bit I'm going to keep. You, you know, you have, it's, it's kind of like a power thing, isn't it? You know, you kind of think only I can do this as well. And that makes me all powerful. But just be careful what you're giving away. Be careful what you're delegating. I've never delegated, for example, final approval on a product. I have the final approval on every product. They call it Jane, the approval process. One piece of that is Jane's approval. And so if I don't approve it, it's not going to market. And I keep that because I feel I have a specific kind of tactile thing that makes me perhaps right now the best person to do that. And I, of course, I need to teach somebody how to do that. But that's the last piece that I'm really giving away. So make sure that you're not giving away the wrong thing. In other words, let's say I'd allowed someone else to make final approval on the product. But I said, you know what, I really like doing one-on-ones with the press. I'm going to just keep all the press things. Well, that would have been the wrong decision because there are other people that can speak to the press equally as well as I do about specific things, but cannot approve a product in the way that I do. So I think you just got to be careful what it is you're delegating or giving away. And you might need a couple of people that know you well and work with you closely to kind of agree with you on what that is. I think that is priceless. And I think adding on to that is just don't delegate things you don't like doing. Yeah. <laughs> you need to figure that out in a different way because those could be some really important things that need to get done. But if yeah. you don't like doing them, you shouldn't, you should figure out a different way to do that. But I see that happening a lot. It's like, well, I don't like doing that, so I'll delegate it. But there isn't, that's not the right thing to delegate. No, you've got to delegate the things that really, I see that in our industry. I see salon owners, for example, that um, start moving out of the treatment room and moving away from the clients in the in the front desk area. And they start, you know, running their business from, from a, an accounting point of view. They're trying to manage their books and do their books. I'm like, well, hang on a second. You can pay somebody to do that who actually has a degree in accounting or bookkeeping, but no one, no one is going to greet the client's walk walking into your salon, into your space, the way that you would. And guess what? They want to meet you. So be present out front and center. Even, you know, sometimes they say, well, that drives me crazy. That's just so timely. And I'm like, it doesn't matter. That's the piece you have to keep because only you can be that person in that business. I think that is so valuable. That advice is so valuable on so many levels. I'm going to kick over to, I was in a shoe store the other day and a 
young woman was the person selling the shoes and an older woman in her 60s was looking to buy shoes. And the, the salesperson said to her, she was showing her like, you know, six inch heels with two inch platforms. <laughs> and the 60 something woman said, she put her hand on the younger woman and said, honey, I'm done with that. <laughs> and I thought that is so great. What are we done with in life? And those are just great mentoring moments. And whether we're 30 or 50 or 60, there are so many things we're done. We think when we're in our 30s, I hear a lot of young women saying, I'm so done with picking the wrong guy. Mm -hmm. I'm done with that. Yeah. And so I want to do a little back and forth because I think we'll have fun with what are we done with? Okay. So I'll start with you. What's well, something you're done with? Go ahead. I'm done with making dinner. That's one of my done with. I like to cook, but I'm done with making dinner every night. So I am highly creative. My 17-year-old daughter ordered Uber Eats last night because she was it was her turn to choose. So she chose Uber Eats. It was great. We had Chinese chicken salad. It was terrific. Um, I order Farm Box where they will deliver all the ingredients to make a dinner and you just follow the recipe and I'll do that together with my daughter. Um, it's absolutely fine to host a dinner party and order Indian takeout and put it in your own dishes and all sit around and drink Kingfisher beer and eat Indian takeout. I think you just have to, I, I'm done with going grocery shopping in a tedious sort of blur thinking oh my god what am I making tonight for dinner and I remember hearing once on Good Morning America that we only ever make 10 things actually we only ever make 10 meals and you just keep rotating them so I mean you're eating the same thing you know every every sort of 10 days and I just decided I'm done with that I'm going to be more creative and I'm going to find other ways to outsource dinner <laughs> I am so with you. I, I, when you just said that, I love to cook, but making dinner is not really cooking because you don't have the time to prep. And it's just right. a time second you clean up and you got to go to the grocery store. So I'm with you. I'm done with the dinner, making yeah. dinner. I'm, I'm still eating it, but I'm done with making exactly. it. Exactly. Okay. So I'll, I'll throw out one. So I'm done with living a complicated life. I'm going to simplify my life. And mm -hmm. I think that you know, goes to a lot, but I'll just focus in on this. I would watch my husband decide what to pack for a trip. Right. And he would take, you know, one suit jacket and many, you know, shirts, enough for a clean shirt or two every day, pants, same pair of shoes. And he, 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 he simplified his life so much that it fits his life for a week, 10 days, two, it doesn't matter how long, fits in a carry-on suitcase. Oh, so good. And I thought, I want, to simpl I, I want to simplify my life. And then I notice how I get in my own way of not doing that. So here's an example. I say, okay, I'm an entrepreneur. I can wear whatever I want. Yeah. But then that my insecurity plays in and says, oh, but I'm meeting with so-and-so. So I do need to get a little more dressed up. And then for that, I need this outfit. So I need to go buy that outfit. So I can't get out of my old ways. I'm really working on it though, but then working on simplifying my life, starting with my clothes and really simplifying it and saying, as you were saying earlier about throwing things out that yeah. don't work anymore and just saying goodbye to them and giving them to somebody who can use them. Yeah. I think that's a good idea. And just really simplifying things saying what's really important and what don't I need? I think from a packing point of view, because I'm, I'm agonized about this. I've actually had to, I've actually had to say to myself, you know what, Jane, you like this kind of angst about packing. So just go with it because I've, I have to decide if I keep replicating it, it must be because I like doing it. So there's something within me, that OCD thing within me that actually likes all this stuff. So, but what I do is I only pack black and cream. That's it. 
That's the only clothing I pack. And I will, so I lay out on my bed like three black bottoms, whether it's pants or a skirt or whatever, three black bottoms, three black tops, three cream tops, all black and cream, mainly black, truly. And then I'll throw in maybe two bright scarves to liven it up and jewelry. And then I pack one high pair of black shoes, one flat pair of black shoes, and that's it. And that's how I pack. So I make sure that everything is mix and matchable. Heel height can change. Dress it up with a scarf or a piece of jewelry. But do not pack any colors because the minute you pack colors, you're going to limp. Number one, you're going to limit what it goes with. Number two, people will recognize it or you'll think they remember you wearing it from yesterday. And when you do that, do you ever think, God, I wish I had such and such with me? Never. I only regret the things I take that I didn't wear. I never regret the things I didn't, I didn't take. I agree. I've, I've gotten so much better at packing that if it doesn't fit in the overhead, I don't, it, it doesn't go with me. It's like yeah. I, do, I do not check my bags. No. And to do that, you really do have to edit it down and say, I'm going to just live with these pieces. And that's when I realized how freeing it is when I look in the closet at the, in the hotel room and say, well, this is easy to decide what I'm wearing today. Yeah, exactly. I have only these amount of pieces to look at versus this, all these pieces in my closet at home. Yeah. And if you're traveling on business and you have to be in meetings, whatever, if you're doing carry on, you know that your luggage cannot get lost. There's no way that your luggage doesn't turn up with you. And that's critical because there's nothing worse than you're flying in a pair of leggings and a big, you know, sweatshirt. And you get there, if your luggage is lost and you have that meeting the next morning, you really, really, you know, you've got a problem. I agree. (laughs) Anything else you're done with? Oh, I'm done with, um, okay, so this is a little crazy and my friends who know me will burst out laughing because they know this about me. Years ago, I decided I'm done with having one dishwasher that I have to wait up till midnight till it finishes to load up dishes again because I cannot go to bed with a dirty dish. It's just one of my things, right? So I love to entertain enough people over for dinner and I would spend my night waiting up for the dishwasher to finish. So I have a minimum... (laughs) of two dishwashers. And I have to admit, in my house in Los Angeles, I have four, which I know sounds ridiculous. And trust me, I don't live in a big trophy house. But I actually removed the trash can thing in in my cabinet and the compactor thing in my cabinet to make room for two of the drawer size dishwashers along with two regular dishwashers, I can actually wash up an entire dinner party, pots, pans, glasses, cups, plates, side plates, everything in one load. I load it up, I hit start on on all of them, and I go to bed. I think that's hilarious. (laughs) I can see why your friends would be laughing. (laughs) I get, I get the two stove thing that you need two stoves to cook a lot of stuff. But since we're not cooking, we don't need. So you could have five dishwashers now. Oh, yeah. you, could get, you could get rid of the oven and you could just make a just new, put a dishwasher in trust it. Trust me, anyone listening to this, put in at least a second dishwasher. You will change your life. That is hilarious. <laughs> I was thinking the day the young woman the, um, the in the shoe salon and they were talking about, I'm done with this. And something hit me that... I'm, I'm done with, and that is not listening to the bumps in the night. And I'll describe that. A few years ago, I was in Jackson Hole every year, about five women, we meet up in Jackson Hole. One of my friends has a home there. And 
she was talking, we were looking for moose and bears, and don't even ask me why we're looking for a bear. <laughs> I, I haven't yet figured that out, but the moose I got. And so we're looking for a moose, and she said, you know, in the middle of the night, and nighttime, if you hear a bump outside, it could be a moose outside of our house because they hang out there at night. So if anybody's wow. up or whatever, look out the window because that could be your chance to have that sighting. So I thought, you know, living in New York, there are so many sounds I just become deaf to, right? Because you have to, to be able to live here. You can hear sirens going, just all of the noise that goes on. You just take them out of your life. And I started to think about the bump in the night and thinking, you know, we really should pay more attention to what we hear, not just what people are saying, but what we hear in life, the sounds, the noises, all of the things in life. So about 18 months after that, my nephew was in the hospital. He was 29, and and when he was in his early 20s, diagnosed with leukemia, and the cure to leukemia destroyed his lungs, and he had a dual lung transplant. Wow. I know. And he was in and out of the hospital a lot, and he lived here in New York. And he called me one day from the hospital. He texted me and said, I'm feeling pretty good today. Do you want to come over? And I said, sure. And I said, what would you like me to bring? And he's the sweetest thing. And he would, but he would always give me a list of things he wanted. And they would have like brand names attached to them, like Gatorade Blue, <laughs> Welch's, what, you know, Welch's Fruit yeah. Shoes. Specific. So I, right, exactly. And I'm thinking, you know, the poor thing's in the hospital. I want to get him what he wants. Right. So I'm running around New York looking for the Welch's Fruit Shoes, and I cannot find them. And after five stores later, I find them. And now I'm exhausted, and it's like 5 o'clock. And I have to get to Brooklyn. I'm in Manhattan, so it's a 40-minute commute over. And I'm thinking, you know what? Maybe I'll just go tomorrow. I'll leave early in the morning, and I'll get there. And what's the difference between that or tonight? Right. But something, I, for whatever reason, I thought, he texted me and said, can you come over today? I'm going to listen to that bump in the night, and I'm going over. And so I went over, and he was doing well, and they were going to release him the next day. And we had this great conversation, and I was able to tell him how proud I was of him. He was at NYU getting his master's, and we were able to talk about some of the disappointments he's had in life. The next morning, I get a call that they don't know how long he will have to live. Oh, my gosh. And he died the day after. And I'm not sharing this for a sadness story. Right, right. I'm sharing it for an impact story of... It was like, you know what, I'm done with thinking, I'm so busy, I don't have time to really take that deep breath and say, what's important yes. to me? Um, you know, is it writing one more post, which is important, I like writing my post, but in the scheme of things, was that important or was going to see Justin important? And, and trusting that inner voice that somehow said to you, he said to, he wanted to see you today and kind of... And trusting that, you know, not just knowing it or thinking about it, but actually acting upon it. Right. And so so I was thinking about, I'm done with not listening to that inner voice, to those bumps in the night, the inner voices that we all have, because logically, why would I not? It would have been just as easy to go the next morning. By the time I get there, it's going to be six, visiting hours are over at 830. Why not go tomorrow morning? That makes perfect sense. So that was one of those, I'm done with not listening to that inner voice. And I'm going to always tune in and tap into that bump in the night. I think that's so, that's such a good expression. I, I have a, a belief that the universe, I mean, whatever, fill in the blank. I, I say the universe gives me three 
nudges, three specific nudges to get my attention about something. And it could be something really trivial. And once you get the third, you really need to stop paying attention. And I've shared this with my with my girls and I've said we're meant to do this because of this. For example, I'll give you an example. So last year for our 25th wedding anniversary, my husband and I went to Venice in Italy. We love Venice, right? It's one of my favorite cities and I hadn't been in a long time. And I came back and I said to my girls, you know, it was so great going to Venice. I just love it. Forget about that. Then I read in the New York Times... Um, early part of this year, that they're staging as part of the 500th anniversary of the Jewish ghetto in Venice, which was the first ghetto to be established for for Jewish people, and we're a Jewish family. And I read about the ghetto in in Venice, and it was funny because we had visited the ghetto while we were there. And I said to my husband, "Isn't that funny? I'm reading this whole article, and we were exactly there. And remember when we were in Venice, and we weren't sure if we should make that trip to go see it? Look, they're writing about it. We were right to have seen it. But I thought to myself, that's two things about Venice and the ghetto. Then the third thing, we're in New York last week for my daughter's graduation. And one of her great teachers at NYU, Tish, Gigi Buffington, is a voice coach. And I said, Gigi, what are you doing over the summer? And she said, you know, I'm actually going to be going to Venice. I'm doing voice training for the cast of The Merchant of Venice. It's Shakespeare's 400th anniversary, and they're staging it in the Jewish ghetto in Venice. And I turned to my husband and I said, okay, that's three things that have happened to me telling me I have to go there. I am meant to go to see the merchant of Venice in Venice. And he said, what are you talking about? And I said, forget it, Raymond. We're going. We're going as a family. We're going to sit there. We're going to watch it. I just have such a strong feeling. We're meant to act upon it. I don't know why we're meant to be there, but we are meant to be there. And I booked it. <laughs> oh, that's fabulous. So when are you going? I'm going on July the 25th and I'm coming back on August the 5th. And we've got tickets to see it August the 1st. Oh, that's fabulous. Yeah. That is, and I, that is, that I don't is know great. what is going to happen to me when we are all there, but I know something significant is going to happen because that's where I'm meant to be. And I think that's great when it's the, the three signals that you're getting. And yeah. it's really about paying attention to those things in life, right? Because yes. we're so busy and it's so easy to get caught up in everything you're doing and not see those signs. Yeah. And, and it, those are the signs that, are, that in life are really important. Well, I can't wait to hear about your trips. So you have to send <laughs> pictures <laughs> or post them, one of the two. Exactly. Okay, so back to another mentoring moment. Is there another, going back to the mentoring moment itself. Is there another mentoring moment you have of a different time in your life that something happened that was that aha moment, this is life changing for me? Yeah, I can remember it as clearly as if it was a month ago. It was uh, early on in my career as a skin therapist. I was working in a salon on south coast of England and I was about 19 years old. I'd been qualified for a few months and I had a client. Um, Her name was Mrs. Hurd. And she used to come and see me every two weeks for a skin treatment. And she came on two buses. And because she came on the bus and because I think she was in her 80s. And 
I, I, I could, I just felt she didn't have a great deal of money. And this was something that she did every couple of weeks. And according to my training, uh, you, you really need to come every four to six weeks for a skin treatment to maintain your skin. And I guess at that stage, I was 19, she was in her 80s. I probably thought she could have gone longer, you know, she was in her 80s. So, you know, what was, what was perhaps her, her dream outcome of having a skin treatment? I wonder what, so I said to her, and I felt I was being kind, I said to her, you know, Mrs. Hurd, I just want to tell you that you don't need to come and see me every two weeks. You don't need to come as often as that. It would be absolutely fine if you came to me every six weeks. Um, that would be perfectly enough for your skin. And she paused for a moment and she looked at me and then she put her hand on my arm and she said, well, if you don't mind, dear, um, I'd like to continue coming as often as I do. Um, this is the only place anyone touches me. And I just thought to myself, I, you know, I wasn't even quite sure what she was saying to me because, you know, I was young and I had a huge circle of friends and was going out and busy and I was just at the start of my life and my career. But she taught me the most important lesson of my entire career because what she taught me, and after I had time to reflect on it and think on it, she taught me that people are not coming to a salon just to receive what you think it is they're receiving, the manicure, the pedicure, the skin treatment, the massage. It's not just the actual service. It's about human connection and human touch. And that is the power of human connection. And so she taught that to me in that simple moment. And in doing that, she gave me not just a life lesson, but she actually gave me my teaching platform too. Because when I went on to teach, I would always start with the fact that it all begins and ends with touch. And it does. So that was my mentoring moment from Mrs. Hurd, who probably, you know, has long since passed away and may have never known that in that one conversation, she changed my career. That is so touching, Jane. I've got goosebumps as you're telling that story. And I think about, I'm thinking about something about my mom, but I want to go back to how that changed your business in that my mom's 89 and she's in great health. And we just had a party for her 89th birthday. Beautiful. And she, we couldn't get her off the dance floor. <laughs> it was it was really great. She's I mean, my was, kind of woman. Right. It was midnight, and I'm like, Mom, I really got to go home, okay? And it was just hilarious watching her. She was so in her element, and I thought, and that, and I thought that I thought she wants to be touched, right? She wants to be hugged. She wants mm -hmm. to be that person. So I think that's one part of it that, mm -hmm. as we're looking at people and realizing their needs, but on the business side of it, how did that then change what, how you were doing business? Oh, I think it changed my management leadership style as as well as my uh, physically it changed the skincare treatments I was doing. Uh, it changed it because I realized touching a client is a great the greatest privilege and it's so rare and it's so unique. I always touch using my bare hands. I don't use gloves. I like to feel the skin. I want the client to feel me. And I want to touch with my kindness too. I, I try and remain very, very intentional about being kind and greeting people in a kind way and looking at them kindly. T human touch is not just physical touch. It's also the touch of your voice, how it sounds, how you greet them, how you look at them. And then when it came to scaling the business and managing teams and managing, you know, 
1,500 people in the company. I am a great believer in managing by walking around, walking around desk to desk, looking at people, talking to them, asking what they're working on, being excited about what they're working on, uh, asking if they if I can do anything to help. One of my favorite things to say to people is, how, let me know how I, how I can be helpful. If I can be helpful, I will. I think it's much more powerful than asking that person for something that you need. If I'm looking to form a partnership, even in the nonprofit work that we do, I'll say to people, um, okay, that sounds great. Let us know how we can be helpful. We'd love to be involved and be helpful. And that has fostered more partnerships um, than, than actually going forward and saying, we want to partner with you. I mean, there's, it's, it's really has that, that conversation about human touch. I just kind of amplified it into pretty much everything I do and it impacted the way I lead and it impacted the way I manage and it impacted what I teach in the classroom and therefore what the teachers that work for us teach. We all know that the the key, the invisible thing that's happening in every human interaction is we have the opportunity to touch somebody with something we say, something we do or with our intention. And I think your example of the 80-something woman who just says something that's so true, Mm -hmm. once again, it's listening to those things and doing something with them. Or your student who said, don't shrink yourself. Right. It's it's, It's taking that in and saying, there are messages coming at us that we need to pay attention to yes. and do things with. And it's just Yeah, and seek the conversation. You know, when you get on the train or you get on the plane or you get... I'm not a chatty person. I'm not like trying to make friends with everyone on the plane. But what I do do is I try and make a conscious effort of not being, you know, just looking at my screen, not just burying my face in a magazine, but sometimes just sitting there and looking around. I have a rule that when I travel, I don't order room service unless it's really late at night and too dangerous to go out I actually make myself go out I go to a restaurant I order dinner I don't take a book or a magazine or a newspaper I don't look at my phone I sit and I enjoy my meal and I look around and I take it in and I let it land. I let it land on my eyes and in my heart and in my brain. I want to soak it in. I don't want to be in Venice looking at my screen that is still in LA. I want to be fully in Venice. I want to look at it. I want to hear it. I want to smell it. I want to see the people around me. I want to take it all in and let it land so that when I think back about that, it is a genuine, true memory that affected all my senses, not just the fact that I remember I went on a trip because I bought a plane ticket, but I don't remember too much of what I said or did there. That, I think, is worth so much in, in the world of mentoring and advice is to live in that moment. Mm-hmm. And I'm guilty of not doing it a lot. Right. It's like, I'll check my phone. I'll do this. I know. I do too. I, I mean, listen, you have to discipline yourself because it's so much easy to kind of um, distract yourself or sort of if, if you're feeling a little self-conscious or a little insecure and you think, well, I just had a book. I could just sort of make out like I was reading or I would read my book. But just be fully present. It is enough to just be fully in the moment. So I want to touch on the missing middle because I 
when I heard you speak at She's the First mm. at the mentoring breakfast, and as you know, I'm on the board of She's the First. Fantastic organization. Yes. It, for those who don't know what She's the First does, they educate young women in the developing world. It's much broader than that, but that's the easiest way to describe it yeah. right now. And Jane was one of the she was one of the awardees last year at our breakfast, and she was speaking, and she was talking about the missing middle. Mm-hmm. But you said back to being your mom is your greatest mentor Mm -hmm. because she told you those life-changing five words on learn how to do something Mm -hmm. and you did so can you talk about the missing middle because i'm i'm very fascinated by what you have to say about it well my mom was widowed at age 38 with four children four girls to raise on her own And she had not worked since she was married in 1945. And this was now 1961. My father died. Suddenly, she had no preparation for it. She was never expecting that she was going to have to be the breadwinner and the provider. And she went back to her training as a nurse and she went back to work. And she was working uh, pretty quickly, pretty immediately, because she literally had to provide for us. My father had not left a lot of money, hadn't left any money. And my mom had to put food on the table. So she showed us that through her example of having a vocational skill set training, she had her training as a nurse, she could keep us together and provide for us. And she would say to my sisters and myself all the time, what would I have done without my training? You better learn how to do something that you can always provide for your family. And it resonated because I had a living example in my house every day of my mum working and being able to provide. So I went on, I got a job working weekends in a salon that ignited my passion for the industry. And I became qualified as a skin therapist or an esthetician, as some people would call it. But I just like the word skin therapist better. Um, I became qualified as a skin therapist. My other sisters became nurses. And we all had this skill set training in our hands. I've then gone forward. I formed my career. I never went to college. I didn't need to go to college. I wanted to have the opportunity to work in an industry I love. And I know that I can always get a job because I know what I'm doing. I'm good at what I do. And there are always people out there that need what I do and want what I do. So therefore, I feel very empowered that I have this skill set in my hands. And what I've seen happen over the 30 odd years that I have been in the industry and working with this vocational skill set is I have seen the demise of the respect for skill set training or uh, vocational training. And we all focus on the four-year college degree, the four-year university degree, the bachelor's degree. And that's one route to your future. And it's certainly, you know, highly prized and highly respected as it should be. But it is not the only route. There is the university academic route for some qualifications and some level of education. But let's not ignore this big piece, what I call the big piece in the middle that we're starting to miss. So I go and I speak at conferences about mentoring, about entrepreneurship, about women's empowerment, about the economic empowerment of women. And I hear two conversations happening at a global level. I hear the conversation about disenfranchised women in the developing world and and the terrible, dire situations that we're facing. And they are extremely important to recognize and work on. 
I also hear the other end of the conversation. It's like a barbell with these two weighted ends. The other end of the conversation is we need to get more young women into science, technology, engineering, and math into STEM or STEAM, if you add the arts into that. And how are we going to get more girls to go to Stanford or how are we going to get more girls to go to MIT? These are the two ends of the barbell. We've got the developing world and all of the dire situations we have to address of disempowerment of women. We have the hugely highly developed technological and engineering fields that we've got to get more women into. But what about this big bit in the middle, the missing middle of women and men, but I focus primarily on women. What are the bulk of women going to do in the world? What, what are we going to do if we're not going to go into STEM and we're not in the developing world? What is our pathway to financial independence? And what I have seen and lived in my life and in my career is skill set training. The fastest way to entrepreneurship is to have the skills in your hand to start your own business and employ just not just yourself, but a couple or two or three other people or a couple of hundred other people. As an entrepreneur, we are job creators, not job seekers. We're hiring ourselves and a few other people or a few hundred other people. This is the missing middle. This is the American dream that I can build my own future literally with my own hands. And when I emigrated here in 1983, I came with a suitcase and my beauty school diploma that empowered me to get licensed in California and then go on and start a career. And I've lived a career in an industry that puts more women into its own business than any other industry in the world. And that is the salon professional industry. We train over 100,000 women every year to advance their careers and become entrepreneurs in this industry. So I see it as a blueprint for entrepreneurship. And so I'm an enormous advocate of vocational skill set training. Let's not ignore our community colleges. Let's not ignore telling our children and young people about other opportunities, alternatives to the four-year college degree. Because I think if we're not talking about that in middle school. You can't wait until you're not getting into the college you wanted to go to. Let's have the conversation in middle school and let's start saying, look at all these amazing pathways that you could take to find your purpose in life, find your happiness, find, and in doing so, find your financial independence. And I think it's a conversation that we stopped having somewhere along along the years. And I think we have to reignite that conversation. We've got an enormous high school dropout rate. We've got young people leaving school because they do not believe that what they are learning is going to equip them going forward into their future lives. So they're dropping out and they're taking hourly paid, you know, jobs. They could have a skill set. They could have a fantastic opportunity in their hands to start their own business. I can call 10 people I know right now who are in the world of finance working in venture capitalist companies or private equity groups, I cannot find more than one decent electrician if I need one. I need, we all need our skill set 
labor. You need a bikini wax in seven minutes. We also need electricians. We need plumbers. We, and by the way, I've yet to ever have a woman come to my home as an electrician or a plumber or any of the people that I've called in a service call. Why is that? There's huge opportunities. And I think we can disrupt and reinvent a number of, of, of industries if we just focus on channeling people into that as career paths. And that's the missing middle. And I think it's those people are happier because they're doing something they want to do. They're fine. They're learning things they can do and that they can do well. And they're feeling good about themselves. I see so many young women in college, graduating from college, some of the best colleges, mm -hmm. but they're not happy. No. Right? They're, they're there because they work so hard to get there. They don't even know why they're there sometimes. Right. Except that they, because they work so hard to get there. Then right. it's like, what am I doing here? Or if they do, then some, very often they're struggling to graduate mm -hmm. or to graduate with high honors because that's what their parents expect them that's to right. do. And they have to pay these, these huge loans, so they Correct. have to graduate high to get a job. And it's just all screwed up in that they're not even happy and they're graduating with a quarter of a million dollars or more in college loans. Right. And not and pursuing something that they don't love to do. They've become, you know, something that maybe their parents expected them to do or they were in a school that really prepared them for, for that venue. And it's they've been tutored up the wazoo to be able to get into those colleges. And we're being told all the time by people in mental health that the highest issues that our kids are facing right now is enormous levels of anxiety and stress and depression. And I think there's a huge sense of what am I doing and why am I doing it and where am I in amongst all of this? And I think that we, we have to really take a lesson out of, I, I was listening to last year at the Clinton Global Initiative, they were talking about uh, entrepreneurship. And I thought, okay, great, this is in my wheelhouse. But the conversation was all around the fact that South Korea is the most educated country on the planet. There are more PhDs per capita than any other country in the world. And yet, the average college graduate there takes two years to find a job. And so, how? Ca and, the, and the conversation didn't then go to what are we doing wrong? What, what are we missing here? The conversation was, how can we teach entrepreneurship more effectively in university? Well, I'm on the entrepreneurship board at the Anderson School at UCLA, which is one of the top business schools in the world. And I will tell you, I don't know that you can teach entrepreneurship. I think that you have some natural entrepreneurs who are going to go out and disrupt an industry because they see the gap in that industry and they see the opportunity. I think there are a lot of students who are going to go into business that we teach entrepreneurial thinking to, but they're going to use it as intrapreneurs. In other words, they're going to use it in a company to be hopefully more creative. But we're missing this piece of the fastest route to starting your own business is to do something that you really care about, you know how to do, and you've figured out a way to make people want what you do. And for me, I think we're just not having a big enough conversation about what it takes to be happy, successful, and a life of purpose. And I think that in itself is a huge mentoring moment for parents and for young people, mm -hmm. right? Because as parents, we have to be able to give our children the encouragement to do what they love to do. It's not be anything you want to be. That would be a doctor, a scientist, right. an engineer, a lawyer. Right. 
don't be an electrician. That's not the anything you want to be. Exactly. There's this huge kind of level of elitism and sort of snobbery attached to service industries, which, you know, listen, I can say this because I'm, I'm, I work in a service industry. I love my industry. It has been incredibly incredibly empowering to me and also made me incredibly successful. So I'm waving the flag for service industries, but it's not lost on me that in the early days before Dermalogica was successful or people loved our product, I'd meet people at dinner parties and they'd say, you know, so what do you do? And I'd say, I'm a skin therapist. And they'd look at me as if I was completely mad. (laughs) Like, you've got to be kidding me, right? right? Well, what college did you go to? And I very proudly say, I didn't go to college. I went to vocational training. I went to, I went to beauty school and I can see them look at me as if whoa I thought she was quite smart she's clearly not smart at all it's complete prejudice but it's just that they people are not thinking about what kind of life do I want to live what how who am I and what makes me happy what gives me joy and what do I want to do and for me it was it was really I found it. I found it very early and I feel very blessed to have found it. And I feel a responsibility now to speak out about the fact that we have to paint more than one picture for opportunity. I agree 100%. And I have a daughter who's 23 and I really try to live those words to say, honey, be happy, do what you want to do. Life's a journey Uh and take the journey. I'm here to support you. Yeah. In in any way, you need that support, but all I really want is for you to be happy Mm -hmm. and to be successful, however you define success, not how I define success. Correct. Whatever that looks like to you. If that looks like you want to have 10 dogs Mm -hmm. and live on a farm, Mm -hmm. then how do you have that life that gives you that? Right. What what will make you happy? Jane, I could go on forever with you, and I can't (laughs) wait till you're back in D.C. or I'm in L.A. Or maybe maybe I'll go to Venice. What were those dates now? Hey, come (laughs) on. (laughs) But we have to wrap up, unfortunately. I could go on and on. But we will do a post on Forbes.com so we can get more from you. Is there anything that you wanted to say that you didn't have a chance to say? No, I think think the only thing I would would really say is that – I, I think back to something I mentioned earlier, which was a student that once thanked me for not shrinking myself. And I would encourage anyone, don't shrink yourself or what your capacity might be. Often, you know, we limit what our future might be. We limit what we, we look at maybe the things we think we're not good at and we allow that to limit us. Look at the amazing things you are good at because within that, that is your capacity for scale and growth. Whether you're scaling a business, whether you're scaling an idea or whether you're scaling your own life. It's there in front of you. Don't shrink it. That's perfect. It is absolutely the best advice. Thank Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Denise. Thanks for listening. I'd love to hear your thoughts about the show. So please review and rate. And if you like the show, please tell a friend and subscribe. And you can get more mentoring moments. Just head on over to mentoring moments on Forbes.com. You just enjoyed a Forbes podcast. To learn more about our other shows, visit Forbes.com slash podcasts. Thank you.